Hello, I'm Chief Security Officer Fred Burton, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. To learn more about Stratfor Worldview, ThreatLens, or Stratfor's custom advisory services, visit us at stratfor.com. If war is hell, which it is, in my thriller Spymaster, I ask the question, what might we do to avoid going into hell? What rules would we be willing to break to stay out of war? Welcome to the Stratfor Podcast, focused on geopolitics and world affairs from Stratfor.com. I'm your host, Ben Sheen. International intrigue, espionage, spies, Russians, betrayal, geopolitics, and a story that sounds more truth than fiction. We welcome New York Times bestselling author Brad Thor back to the podcast to discuss his latest book, Spymaster, with Stratfor Chief Security Officer Fred Burton. Thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with my good friend, Brad Thor. Brad is the number one New York Times bestselling author of 18 thrillers. And on July 3rd, his new book, Spymaster, comes out. And I have to say, I, I'm really blessed because Brad was kind enough to send me an advanced copy. And and I got to say, Brad, it's in, in my judgment, it's the best one you have done so far. Oh, that's very kind of you to say, Fred. Thank you. It's filled with Russian spies, uh, even uh, Gurkha bags, my favorite. So, Brad, talk me through a little bit. How do you go about putting together a storyline like this? I mean, this is like ripped from the pages of uh, the New York Times today. Well, so for me, my dad is a no longer active Marine. I grew up in the Midwest. I've got that good uh, Puritan work ethic. I strive to get better with each with each book I do, uh, and I'm a voracious consumer of news. I'm constantly watching what's happening not only at home but abroad, and the Rand Corporation published a report back in 2016. It was fascinating. They, they had gotten together all of these high-ranking American military members, and they had done kind of a red against blue scenario where Russia decides they're going to take the Baltic states of Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. And they kept switching up these admirals and generals and putting them on the red team, then the blue team, you know, you're US and NATO, you're Russia. And they kept mixing it up and they rolled the dice a thousand times. And it kept coming up Russia every single time. Within 36 hours, Putin and his forces were able to take all three of these Baltic NATO member countries, and that was that. And I was fascinated and somewhat terrified that Putin could move in so quickly. So I dug into this scenario. How would he do it? Uh, what would he need to do to hold it? Uh, what did that mean for NATO and how might NATO respond? And then I compared all that against kind of our current political situation. So my president is – it's fiction. I, I, but uh, Mark Twain once said that the difference between fiction and reality is that people expect fiction to make sense. <laughs> so I, I've got I've to set my books against the real world 
And we've been at war in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and we've got a somewhat war-weary population here in the United States. Uh, But we also have a commitment to NATO, and particularly Article 5, which is an attack on one, is an attack on all. It's only been used once. We, the United States, used it in the aftermath of 9-11 to go into Afghanistan. So I asked myself – with this war-weary public in the United States and a current president, uh, not the same as the president in my book, but a current president who I don't think would want to get into a war someplace, how would Americans respond to an attack on not one but three NATO members that they probably couldn't find the Baltic states on a map? Would they want to support at Article 5? And I, it's important. You've got a very sophisticated audience for your podcast, and, and most of them understand what the Article 5 represents and, and that Russia really sees the U.S. and NATO as its greatest foes. And it would it would thrill Putin to no end to make a move on one or all three of those Baltic nations and have the U.S. sit it out. It would be the end of NATO, and Putin would love that. So if war is hell – uh, which it is, in my thriller Spymaster, I asked the question, what might we do to avoid going into hell? Would we be willing to tear up our own rule book and take some of our best intelligence operatives and best tier one operators and set them loose uh, over in that part of the world in order to prevent ever having an Article 5 be necessary? What rules would we be willing to break to stay out of war? And that's the, that's the basis for Spymaster. Wow, it's an unbelievable storyline. I've uh, had the pleasure of reading the book, and uh, I'm really amazed at uh, not only the geopolitics, of, as you outlined here, uh, but also the tradecraft, which uh, is this a little bit of a departure for your hero, Scott Harvath, to, to delve against uh, probably uh, one of the best intelligence services of the world, uh, and that would certainly be the Russian uh, GRU. It's funny because I've got a couple of sources who have gone head-to-head with the GRU and really had some interesting uh, pieces of information for me. I I can't do what I do without the help of men and women who have been there, done that, and have the T-shirt to prove it, so to speak. Uh, And it's funny because when you talk to people who work in counterintelligence or counterterrorism – They really explain, okay, well, here are all the steps, and I would say, okay, well, that's 10 steps. Nobody's going to sit through in a thriller novel all 10 steps. I need to (laughs) condense it. You know, so I, I may use one cutout where the GRU may use five different ones, and, and they're really going to wash stuff so that there isn't a direct connection or even one step removed from a, from a handler, blah, 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 blah. But you can't have a book, Fred, called Spymaster and not pack it full of tradecraft. The, the, the challenge is doing it and making the book exciting, you know, creating those short, crisp, cinematic chapters where somebody sits down to just read one and all of a sudden they look up and it's three hours later and they're almost done with the book and they decide, well, I'll figure out how to make it through work tired tomorrow. I got to get to the end of this and see how it all turns out. (laughs) Well, you've done a very good job with that. I can tell you firsthand. And uh, Brad, I think uh, you you are such a successful author. Help me understand your process. Uh, Like when do you write? How do you write? Do you got a special place you go to? I mean the research you do for these books – for someone like me, too, uh, who dabbles in a little bit of writing, is amazing. So uh, how do you make the sausage, so to speak? 
I'm a husband and I'm a father, so I treat this uh, as a as a regular steady gig, Monday through Friday. Jack London once said, you can't wait for inspiration. You have to go after it with a club, uh, and that's true. I really – I have close at hand uh, Stephen Pressfield's fantastic book, The War of Art. And uh, the Pressfield's an amazing, amazing author. The, the Gates of Fire, uh, about the 300 and the Battle at Thermopylae, which is required reading for Delta Force and uh, and some other different units out there. Pressfield's an amazing author, and he talks a lot about the process of writing and how you have to sit down. Uh, there's somebody that said uh, the water doesn't run unless the tap is open. So you have to actually the seat of pants to seat a chair and make it happen. So I will get up in the morning, make breakfast, catch up on the news, see my kids off to school. I I will work out and then I will be at my desk by you know 8 a.m. And I just write no matter what. I have to do it. If I don't write, my family doesn't eat. And I sit on my laptop. I've got a desk in my office at home. I've got a couch. Uh, a lot of times when I change characters or plot lines, I'll, I'll physically move to a different part of the office. But it's funny. It doesn't get easier. You would think this being my 18th thriller that, wow, you know, Thor puts out one a year. <laughs> He's just cracking them out. It's got to be easy. And it's not. I mean, I, I try to raise the bar for myself because the readers are the people I work for. Those Simon & Schuster is not my employer. It's the readers. It's that customer who looks forward to a Brad Thor thriller every summer. I, I, we've got people that plan their vacations around the, the publication date of the books. And I, I think I owe it to them to give them a better book every single year. So, you know, there's a lot of sweat, no blood, but there's a lot of sweat, <laughs> no tears. But it's just it's a it's a it's, it's a lot of hard work. But it's because it's hard, I find it rewarding. If it was easy to be boring and I'd be off doing something else. We'll get back to the conversation with author Brad Thor in just one moment. But if you're interested in picking up a copy of his latest book, Spymaster, be sure to visit bradthor.com. That's where you'll also find information about his other Scott Horvath books and even a blog post on the other books behind Spymaster. We'll include a link in the show notes. And you can also read more about Fred Burton's experience as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department's Diplomatic Security Service at Stratfor Worldview. We've collected his reflections and other podcast interviews in a series called Lessons from Old Case Files. Now back to our conversation with Fred Burton and author Brad Thor. I also think that uh, the the interesting part of your books, too, as I go through them, uh, and I've read them all, is the amount of research you do in to the tools of the trade, you know, the the weapons that Scott Harvath has at his disposal and so forth. You know, just being a former agent, you and I both know that when agents or operators get together, uh, they're always talking about these kinds of things. And uh, in, in Spymaster, I was looking through this and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, how does Brad go about researching all these weapons? Uh, you know, it's it's funny. That's uh, it's one of the most flattering 
pieces of feedback I get is from men and women in the field who say, oh, my gosh, you know, that's exactly the kind of gear that I carry. I've got that knife or I've used that weapon repeatedly. It's it's from talking to people like you, Fred, who have been there and who have done that. You you joked around in the beginning about Gurkha bags. Well, the reason there's a Gurkha in this is because of you. You I follow you on Twitter. You talked about Gurkha. And I, I was unfamiliar with that brand. And so I looked at Gurkha and I'm like, wow, this is this is really cool stuff. And I've carried kind of a nylon, a black nylon briefcase, soft briefcase with pals webbing inside and outside forever. And it just looks like a tactical bag and stuff. And then I, I saw your Gurkha tweet. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, after reading that tweet and going to their website, I was in an American Airlines lounge in New York, and there was a gentleman sitting across from me, and he had one of those bags, a gentleman from Texas, actually. <laughs> and I said, is that a Gurkha bag? And he said, yeah. And he was such an advocate of that brand. And he goes, I even know the woman that answers the phone. Let me call her right now. You like this brand? Let's see if they have it. I mean, the guy was such a brand champion. I said, all right, Fred loves this brand. Uh, this guy's raving about it. So I ended up buying one, as you know, because we kind of had that funny back and forth, uh, may have been a year ago on Twitter, where you posted a picture uh, along with, I think it was maybe a, thir- a Smith & Wesson 38 that you yeah, had. an old five yeah. shot. Yeah, and I and I had one too, and so I had my brand new bag, and I, I had just bought that new thirty eight, uh, that Smith and Wesson myself. So it's it's a funny story, but that story between you and me and Gurkha is just it's how it happens. It's me talking with people uh, and asking them what kind of gear. Do you use – I mean I used to know the the founder of uh, Blackhawk Industries, Mike Knoll, who was a SEAL, who was on, an assi- on a mission downrange and he had a strap break on a key piece of equipment that he had and he swore to God that if he made it back alive, he was going to start a company and – all their products were going to be made to such high quality they were never going to break. And I remember talking to him about that experience. And so it's being around people who have uh, gone downrange, whose lives depend on what they carry, that I pick up these things. I like to say I've bought a lot of steak dinners, bought a lot of pitchers of beer, <laughs> and I'm smart enough to sit there and keep my mouth shut because I'll learn more by not talking about myself but by listening to the stories of other people. <laughs> Well, I think uh, based on uh, your endorsement of Gurkha and mine, I, I think the company should hook us both up with some brand new leather bags, don't you? Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, it's funny because this bag, I mean, you know, I'm in my 40s. I'm going to take this bag with me for decades. It's going to go around the world. I just got back from London. I took it there. I got compliments on the airplane on it. Uh, it's really neat. It's something that I'll probably hand down to my son. Yeah, no doubt. They make wonderful products. And and I have to say this too, Brad. I was chatting with Joshua before uh, we started our podcast. And uh, the one thing about you, and I tell this to everybody, is that um, you are such a nice guy. I mean, for example, uh, I almost fell out of my uh, rocking chair when I was at home reading my advanced copy of Spymaster. And and I come across uh, your characters, your operators <laughs> on their secret mission – Reading uh, my book that's that's will be published in October, called mm-hmm. Beirut Rules. So I mean, uh, that was a very kind thing for you to do. 
Well, it was it was my honor. I appreciate the fact that you let me read in advance copy. It's funny. I'm hoping that the Today Show will have me for fall book picks, so I'm able to pick it because I'm going to be on the Today Show uh, the day my book comes out, Tuesday, July 3rd, and uh, they asked me for a nonfiction pick, and I couldn't use Beirut Rules. Uh, they, they didn't. Uh, it doesn't matter how awesome I think that book is. They needed something that was in the marketplace, so hopefully I'll be back in the fall. But it's interesting. A lot of the guys that I know that go downrange are big readers. It's funny. It's these intense periods of incredible action punctuated by long periods of absolute boredom uh, is the way it's been described. Uh, a lot of the work that our brave men and women do. So there's a lot of them that I know who are big readers. And so I thought, oh, this is kind of fun. Why not put in books that I love that I'm telling my friends and family about? Why not, why not put those kind of Easter eggs in my novel? So I think the biggest thing is people will be disappointed that they can't get Beirut rules uh, this summer, that they'll have to wait for the fall, but uh, it'll just make, uh, make their appetite for it all the more keener. Well, uh, thank you again for doing that. That was uh, simply uh, simply amazing on your part. Tell me a little bit about uh, Scott Harvath. He's a fascinating character who I think many of us have uh, kind of grown to really enjoy. Uh, how do we see him growing old? Well, it's, it's interesting because Harvath is kind of tracked with my age through the books. And I, I've got buddies that have, uh, that are in their mid forties that have many years left in, in their career of going down range and doing some exciting things. But I got to fly with the, the Blue Angels out of Pensacola. Uh, a few summers ago. And while I was down there, uh, there was a, a, a gentleman from SEAL Team 3 who I know that took me by this fascinating kind of scientific sports medicine institute that tunes up football players before the combine and things like that. But they'd also been working with a lot of tier one operators. So guys from, you know, dev group with the SEALs and, you know, the unit on the Army side. And they realized that a lot of the injuries uh, that professional athletes were getting are similar to what our special operators were getting and that a lot of the medical science could be applied there. So a lot of this research that's been done to help keep uh, these top performing NFL and NBA players performing at their peak and helping them to recover more quickly from injuries, they could apply to the special operations world. So uh, it's it's interesting because I refer to a particular – uh, series of injections and things like this that Scott Harvath is getting. And uh, I, I, I know some of the guys, some of the real guys to keep their edge, even getting into their 40s who are who are doing these things as well. But the the, the 30,000 foot view on Harvath is that he's a uh, he was a Navy SEAL uh, that was on what was back then SEAL Team 6, came to the attention of a U.S. president uh, during an operation and got recruited by the Secret Service to help bolster their counterterrorism expertise at the White House. Uh, it went there and the president's like, this is the biggest waste of a resource I've ever seen in my life. This guy should not be playing defense at the White House. We should be taking the chain off and letting him go chase America's bad guys. I, I, I've long had this thing about uh, – I understand the Geneva and Hague conventions, but if there are people who are not signing on to them, who refuse to show up on the field of battle wearing a uniform, not even wearing an armband, and they want to hide behind women and children, well, the rules shouldn't apply to them. We should be able to go out and hunt them down and take them out. Uh, Ralph Peters, who is no longer at Fox, 
had written a great uh, op-ed piece called Kill, Don't Capture years ago where he said, you know, we, we round these guys up. We give them a, three hots and a cot when we used to just kill them as spies. You know, if, if we found them on the battlefield and they weren't wearing a uniform, they're of no little to no intelligence value. We used to just shoot them on the spot, and that was the way we used to conduct warfare. So I think there's a lot to that. So I, I think readers enjoy – seeing a character who is not bound by kind of Marcus of Queensberry rules. And I think we all hope that uh, we have these people out there conducting the nation's most dangerous business in a way that's going to help secure and continue to protect our freedom. Uh, well said, Brad. I, I could not agree with you more. And uh, I think that uh, you've done a wonderful job of portraying uh, Scott Harvath in that kind of capacity that this is an individual that doesn't mind coloring outside the line, so to speak, uh, to, to get the job done for at the end of the day, uh, his actions are uh, saving lives for all of us, which is a very noble cause. Uh, it, it is indeed. And I, I always I, – we talk a lot about the American dream in my house with our children and I always make sure that that talk is coupled with the following, which is there is no such thing – as the American dream without those willing to go out and protect it. Without our brave men and women doing that, uh, you, you don't get to work at Stratfor. Your uh, Josh, who's helping behind the boards there, doesn't have that job at Stratfor. I don't get to be an author. I mean, there is no American dream without those willing to protect it. And so I try to honor those men and women with how I portray them in my thrillers. Well, and that you do better than anybody, Brad. And uh, I think that that's a good place to uh, to stop our talk, and uh, I will say this uh, for folks that are listening to uh, this podcast today. Uh, Spymaster comes out on July 3rd. Uh, you can pre-order it now. I would strongly encourage you to purchase this book, and I, I say this all the time. All you have to do is read one. And you're going to be a Brad Thor fan for life. Uh, after the first one, you're going to read all 18 others. So, uh, Brad, thank you so much for joining Joshua and I today. And and thank you so much for uh, mentioning my upcoming book uh, in your book. Well, it's my pleasure. I really enjoyed Beirut Rules. And uh, I wish you all the best with that. And again, thank you for having me on again this year. I really, really love your podcast. And I appreciate these, this uh, opportunity to chat with you and your listeners. Thanks again for joining us to discuss Brad Thor's newest book, Spymaster. If you're interested in picking up a copy, be sure to visit bradthor.com. And we'll also include a link in the show notes. And if you'd like to immerse yourself in the world of geopolitics and echoes of the Cold War that were the canvas for Thor's work, be sure to visit us at Stratfor Worldview, where our analyst team lays out the grand strategies of nations and the underlying forces that shape decision-making each and every day. If you're not already a Stratfor Worldview member, you can sign up for our free newsletter or learn more about complete access to our analysis through individual, team, and enterprise memberships at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. And for more geopolitical intelligence, analysis, and forecasting that reveal the underlying significance and future implications of emerging world events, follow us on Twitter at Stratfor. Stratfor.